Amen. Can we give the Lord another round of applause this morning? Well, good morning. We welcome you here this morning. Welcome those who are gathering with us online from all over the world. It is a privilege to stand before you today. Be in prayer for our staff. Be in prayer for the different ministries of our church. Our high schoolers are leaving in the morning, uh, 85 of them, to go to camp. And so I should say be praying for them, but be praying for our leaders as well. Uh, be praying that we come back with the same number we leave with. That's always a prayer uh, that we have now. But be praying for a great week of, of camp. My father's uh, student ministry did camp last week. And again, I thank you for your prayers for our, uh, my family, my brother. My brother was able to go. Uh, my brother was able to help lead last week and uh, was showing me some of the videos. And so we're excited for our, our students this week. So be praying for them. If you want something to pray for every day, be praying for uh, our students, their safety, but for God just to do. Uh, a mighty work in and through our student ministry. And we're seeing that across the board. Let me just take a moment this morning and share a little bit with what God's kind of doing behind the scenes. As many of you know, uh, this past April, Pastor Dave Baloney uh, got mad and quit on us. And so we're trying to, I'm just getting Pastor Dave, if uh, you're watching right now. He is following the Lord's leading and we see that uh, very clearly as he will be returning back to Regent uh, to teach full-time in uh, their law school. And so we're excited for he, thankful uh, for the last 10 years he has spent here uh, on staff with us. Uh, but we recognize there's many gaps to fill. And so although we're gonna be hiring uh, to fill that position, that executive pastor uh, position, and there's some neat things that God's doing uh, behind the scenes as we walk through that process. We're meeting with our personnel team in the next two weeks, our council uh, in the coming weeks. And so uh, God's already kind of doing some neat things there, but we know that there's some gaps to fill immediately. And so what we're doing is our senior team, uh, we're kind of you know, giving them a, a more broad responsibility within the ministries of our church. For example, uh, Pastor Caleb, uh, who is uh, overseeing our student ministry. He will continue to oversee our student ministry, but he'll also transition to kind of a more broad role with discipleship. He'll help us lead church-wide discipleship with our life groups and with our Bible studies, and we're excited about that. And we recognize that there's some gaps we gotta fill even within the student ministry uh, to even help that make, make that possible. And so Blake LaRussa has been a tremendous uh, addition to our team um, with Heather Vanderford and the rest of their student ministry team over there. So God's doing some cool things there. Pastor Kyle uh, is continuing to serve as our community missions uh, and outreach pastor. Uh, we believe the Lord's continuing to lead he and, and Kim to the mission field. So be praying for them. Uh, within the next year and a half, two years, we see the Lord leading us uh, plan a church in a foreign land. And so we're excited about what God's doing there. But Pastor Kyle's gonna come beside me and help me in the area of pastoral care and counseling and shepherding and, and, and in those sorts of things. Sue, who is the head of our children's department, will continue in that role, but also is gonna help us with the administration within our office for our church calendar, our facility use, um, and help us uh, within some of those details within the ministry. Ms. Legay, as many of you know, she does many things. She helps coordinate our worship service here on a Sunday morning as well as connections and, and um, communication. And so she's gonna continue to do uh, the many different things that she's doing as we're looking to uh, help her uh, as we, you know, again, add to the team. So all that to say, 
be praying for us. Be praying for us as we seek the Lord's will. We believe, and I've seen this in 14 years as God has brought people in and then he sends them out, but he always is faithful, right? He's always faithful uh, to keep adding those team members. So we're excited what the Lord's doing, but be in prayer for our church as we transition to really what I would say this new season. I kind of look at this. Let me just take a moment. We're going to do a sermon in a moment. I promise. I know you, you're, you're waiting for Noah, right? You're waiting for Noah. Some of you didn't know you were waiting for Noah. You're waiting for Noah, not for the flood, but for, it looks like the flood. So we're waiting for Noah. And so again, just be praying for our church as we walk through um, this transitional time in the life. You know, I kind of look at this as kind of a third chapter in the life of our church. That first chapter I wasn't a part of, some of you were a part of that original group that planted this church. Many of you can go back to the days of meeting in high schools. I wasn't a part of this church at that time. Many of you were of the setting up and the taking down. And then kind of the second chapter was now we're on campus. Well, now we're entering into the kind of a third chapter where the facility has been built out. We know what this campus is going to look like. It is what it is upon this property. And now we're praying about that next season of where the Lord's going to be taking us deeper and wider is what we talk about, you know, especially in the life of our church. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Take your Bibles and turn with me if you would. Genesis chapter six, we're gonna continue in our story of Noah. We're doing faith of the Old Testament. And so uh, many of you have probably seen different series where someone has taken Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a chapter of scripture that people would look at and call God's hall of faith in which you have over 22 individuals, some named, some implied, but 22 stories of faith of the Old Testament. We're not gonna take every one and we're not gonna take it in order. We're gonna even step outside of some of the ones listed uh, within this chapter. But if you were with us last week, we looked at the story of Noah. And our overarching verse of this entire series, as we talk about faith, as we talk about it is impossible to please God without faith, is Hebrews chapter 11. And let me just read this verse to you. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, many of you will recognize that passage. Many of you will recognize verse one of that chapter, which says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so what we see all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New Testament is by, through, and for. By, through, and for. It's the same pattern, Old Testament to New Testament. People say, well, how, how are people in the Old Testament saved? They were saved the exact same way people are saved in the New Testament, by, through, and for. First of all, by grace, that the only way that we can celebrate salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, and, and again, the, 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 the saving of the judgment of God is by the grace of God. Can I get an amen? You know, I hear people say, you know, God's not fair. Listen, let's be glad that God's not fair that by his grace, right? By grace, but how? Through faith. Ephesians 2.8, right? Ephesians 2.8 is still the verse that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. For by grace, you are saved by grace through faith. But that faith always has actions, right? We're not saved by our works, but we're known by our works. And James even says that, right? He says, faith without works is So it's one thing to say you have faith. It's one thing to proclaim faith. It's one thing to just pray a prayer of salvation. But the Bible says those who have truly been changed from the inside out, that there will be actions that follow, that you will see a new nature. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean they're sinless. We know that Noah was not perfect before the flood. Noah was not perfect after the flood. 
As a matter of fact, he's the first person that we read in history that got blackout drunk. He was not perfect by no means. God always gives us the full story. We don't see him speak through any of these chapters and the first time he does, he curses. So he just should have kept his mouth shut. He's not perfect before the flood or after the flood. It's always grace. By grace through faith. And Hebrews 11 says it all. That without faith, it is impossible to please him. But we understand that right now, now on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Without God's grace that's already been demonstrated in Jesus, but now through faith, without that, we can't even enter into a relationship with him. So we can't know him apart from faith. But then now in our faith, that's where we grow. It's in our faith, that's where we're sanctified. It's in our faith where God deepens us. It's in our faith where again, the joy and the peace that comes in just walking with him. And you're gonna see some of this language as we look at the story of Noah. But before we get there, I saw something this past week that I thought was very deep and insightful. 10 lessons learned from Noah's Ark, you ready? Number one, don't miss the boat. That was one of the greatest lessons learned If you've ever been on a cruise ship, you understand be back by four o'clock. Don't miss the boat. Number two, remember that we're all in the same boat. That's, That's some encouraging news. Number three, plan ahead. It wasn't raining when Noah started construction, all right? Number four, stay fit. Noah was 500 years old when he was called to this building project. So let's not even be talking about retirement, all right? Here we go. Number five, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. Number six, build your future on high ground. There's a lot of truth to that. Number seven, for safety's sake, travel in pairs. The ark teaches us that. Don't swim along. Number eight, speed isn't always an advantage. The snails are on board with the cheetahs, and I'm encouraged by that. Number nine, when you're stressed, just go float a while. There's some theological truth to that message right there. And then number 10, no matter the storm, when you're walking with God, there's always a rainbow waiting for you. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good there, right? Reminds me of a story. (laughs) Noah finishes building the ark. They come to the land. He opens the door and he says, go be fruitful and multiply. And all the animals leave the ark. And yet he looks down and there's two little snakes. They're just sitting there. And they said, we can't go multiply. We're adders. All right, take your Bible. Turn with me. Oh, wow, that bad. It's still gonna make it to 11.15, I'm sorry. Here we go, let's go. Genesis chapter six, join with me if you would. Stand with me in reverence of reading God's word. Genesis chapter six. If you were with us last week, we looked at really the first 12 verses. We kind of laid the foundation of the story. We're gonna now jump into the details. And what you'll find about this is very similar to how God works in our lives, right? God doesn't fill in the gaps with Noah. He tells him what to do, but there's faith required. He doesn't give us all the details, at least not in scripture. That's not how we find it recorded here where he says, okay, now this is exactly how you're gonna go get the animals. This is exactly how you're gonna feed the, no, no, no. He says, this is what I'm calling you to do. And when he calls them to faith, God fills in the gaps. But he requires a step of faith first. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. I think we have this human idea sometimes and I'll fall into this trap of God, give me a sign. God, God, you prove yourself first and then I'll respond. You don't find that in scripture. God's already given us all that we need to trust in him. Can I get an amen? Amen. The question is Hebrews 11. The question is Hebrews 11, six. If it truly is impossible to please God without faith, 
Because it says what? That we must believe who he is. We must believe that he is who he says he is. And it says what? We must believe that he will do that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, who diligently seek him. And so every day in your journey, it comes down to these two things. Do I believe in the God of this book? And do I believe that the God of this book will do what he says he will do, even when it doesn't add up? Lean not upon human understanding, because so many times what God calls us to do makes no sense at all, logically speaking. I would dare to say it made no sense to Noah, but he trusted. Let's look at verse 22. Genesis chapter six, let's just jump down to verse 22. Oh, my card fell out. Let me grab my card. This is my baseball card of my son. I don't know if you can get a camera on that. <laughs> this is his little baseball picture. I keep it in my Bible. You can't get a camera on that. All right, just trust me. Right? <laughs> Genesis six comes down to verse 22. Look at what it says here and then we'll fill in the gaps. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. Three words, may it be said of all of us when God calls us to something. Say it with me, so he did. It's pretty simple. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you, Old Testament, New Testament. Lord, we see that you are the God who is sovereign. You are the God who is the same today as you were yesterday, as you will be tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for your unchanging nature. We thank you for that, that we can trust in your word. We thank you, Lord, because Noah didn't even have the written word. All he could take was the word that you spoke to him. Lord, you have given us your written word, Old Testament, New Testament. Lord, we are on this side of the greatest promise fulfilled, the promise of a savior, the promise of a redeemer. And now you have put in front of us your inerrant word, Lord, may we walk in it each day. Lord, may our faith please you. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who has never demonstrated that first step of faith, of trusting in a savior, acknowledging their sins, seeing their sins not compared to others or the rest of this world, but seeing it through the lens of a holy and righteous and perfect God and seeing the payment that was made by your son, Lord, I pray today, something that they can't prove, something that they can't touch, but something by only faith alone we can trust in, Lord, I pray that you would give them the faith needed to be placed upon a savior. Lord, as we study this story of the ark, we see the picture of salvation. That sin must be judged, but that you are a merciful God, a gracious God. And you've invited us to be covered by the righteousness of a savior. And so Lord, this morning, may we trust in you as we simply walk with you. Lord, may it be said of us, so we did. Whatever that may be, may it be said of us. So we did. Lead us and guide us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. You know, we looked at that passage last week in Second Peter chapter 3. And, you know, I shared it last week. People have asked me, you know, well, do you believe in the actual flood? Do you believe in a universal, you know, flood? Absolutely, I do. Uh, can, I, can I, you know, fill in all the gaps? Of course not. However, again, it comes back to believing in the God of this universe, right? Like if we believe in the creation accounts, right? If we believe that God created this earth in six days, then we should be able to believe in the story of the flood. Can I get an amen? 
Now, for many of us, we have this image of Noah, right? I talked about last week, my pop-up book. I have memories of walking through my children's department at, at my father's church in Anderson, South Carolina that had pictures on the wall of Noah and the ark. And you remember the picture of the giraffe with his head hanging out of the ark, you know what I'm talking about? Like all the animals and then there's Noah. So we've kind of romanticized this story. And so it's important, even for the sake of our children, that we allow God's word to really teach us in detail what is happening and what is taking place. Because we don't want our children to you know, grow up and look upon this as some, some fable or some fairy tale. No, this is history, and I believe science confirms the word of God. And so what we find here, again, is a story of, I believe, of grace. When you look at the story of Noah's Ark, the first thing that comes to mind is right, what judgment, obviously that what's happening here? Well, God is judging the earth. What's happening here? We believe that this is around 1600 years, 10 generations after Adam and Eve. Now remember people were living a lot longer upon this earth. And so you can imagine the longer someone lived separated from God, the longer the depth and the, and the deeper the depth of that sin. I mean, people were living for hundreds of years. It's recording in scripture, 900 years, 700 years, like it was happening. And so there were millions, if not billions upon this earth. And it all goes back to Genesis three, like everything that has happened comes back to sin. And it's important for us to understand that. Like I think again, having a good doctrine understanding of sin is important because when we look at our world, when we look at the tragedies of our world, when we look at the tragedies of our own lives and the struggles of our own lives and the evil that we see, we need to understand that it all goes back to sin. It's the foundation of it all. And that if God is a God who is holy and righteous, sin must be judged. And so what you find in the story of Noah's Ark is not just a, of a holy God and a righteous God that must judge sin. You see grace, the, the underlying story of Noah's Ark is grace. And, and we call it Noah's Ark, but it really should be called God's Ark because Noah didn't come up with it. He built it, but it's God's Ark. It's God's way of saving and displaying grace. Because really the Bible could have ended in Genesis 5. In Genesis 5, God could have looked upon the earth and said, you know what, because Noah was not innocent, Noah was not sinless, God could have easily looked upon the earth and said, you know what, I'm done. And it would be better if I just blocked them out. And that's the scripture, that's the picture that the Hebrew language gives there in this passage of scripture. But you see grace. By grace, through faith. It's the same story all through Scripture. So let's go back, go back to verse five, if you would. Let's quickly catch up to where we were, and then we're gonna jump in to the final verses leading into the end of chapter six. Verse five says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent, we talked about this last week, that word intent is where you get the word form, where God formed man from the dust of the earth. So every thought, every action was formed and the heart of man was sinful, is what this passage is saying. That everything, evil continually, is what the Bible is saying. Only evil continually. You jump down to verse 11 and 12. It goes a little bit deeper. The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. We talked about that's the Hebrew word hamas. That means the abuse of other people. That people were being abused in this setting. So you can imagine the heart of a gracious God, of a compassionate God. His heart is grieved, the Bible says. He looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their ways upon the earth. So the point is very clear. You can kind of go down some rabbit holes of what's this passage about, but the point is very clear. Earth is mentioned seven times and the word corrupt or evil matches it every single time. Now look at verse six. 
And the Lord was sorry that he made man. Now, we talked about this last week. Just as it said when the Lord saw, it's not speaking or countering the omniscience of God, the all-knowing presence of God. It's not what it's talking about. When it says he saw, it means he was fully aware. It doesn't mean he stumbled upon and all of a sudden he saw something he'd never seen before. That's not the language. That's not what it's teaching. And it's also not teaching that God felt like he made a mistake. The, oh man, I should have never created. It's not that God didn't see it in his sovereignty. He did. He was grieved. And the heart of God was grieved because his nature must judge sin. Look at verse seven. So the Lord said, I will destroy man. That's that word blot out whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now again, the Bible speaks of, in those first four verses of Genesis six, of it really speaks of the depth of the evil that was taking place upon this earth. And even Jesus gives reference to that, right? People ask, do you believe us? Yeah, but Jesus believed in Noah. Peter believed in Noah. They make reference to him all throughout scripture. And even Jesus says that when the son of man shall return, it will be like the days of Noah. What's he talking about? That people were just going about doing their own things. That people were having festivities and weddings and parties and ceremonies and giving no acknowledgement to the God of this universe. Jesus says, just as it was then, it will also be when I shall return. And I think we look at the world that we live in today and we can say, you know what? These are the days of Noah. And he says this, verse eight, but Noah found, say it with me, say it with me this morning. It better mean a lot to you, but Noah found by grace through faith, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, did he deserve grace? Was it that Noah was the best of the rest of the men? And God said, well, at least he's not as bad as the rest of them. And so I'm gonna show him grace. Uh Uh-uh, the Bible says even one sin, even if we sin one time, we've countered against the perfection and the holiness of God. And so even one sin, and we see that, that Noah was not divine before the flood, Noah was not divine after, that God did not demonstrate his grace to him because he deserved it. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't rest in the grace of God because I deserve it, because I know I don't deserve it, none of us do. But by God's goodness, by his mercy, he displays grace. It's the first time we find grace mentioned in the Bible. It's the first time we see God speak of a covenant in the Bible. It says in verse nine, this is the genealogy of Noah. And then here's a picture of anyone who is a follower of the Lord, whether before Jesus or after Jesus. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a, notice this, a just man. What does that speak of? His justification that he stood before God wholly just. Again, is this because of his actions? Absolutely not. This is imputed righteousness. What does that mean? We're in the same category, that if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness has been imputed to you. And so when God sees us, he doesn't see our good actions and our church attendance and our magnet, which many of you should not have on the back of your car. He does not see those things. He sees the righteousness of his son imputed to us. That's justification. I stand justified before a holy God, not because I'm a preacher. Listen, that means nothing because I'm a preacher that is sinful. I stand perfect before God because Jesus was perfect. And in Christ, I stand justified. No longer in Adam, now in Christ. That's what the Bible speaks of. And so it's this picture of not only justification, but then it says he was perfect. Your translation may say blameless. What does this speak of? It speaks of sanctification. It speaks of a man whose actions, his righteousness matched his justification. And there's truth to that, right? That if someone has truly been justified, if someone has truly demonstrated faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll see a change of action. 
They're not saved by their works, but they're known by them. That's what the Bible says. James says what? Faith without works is, we're not saved by it, but we're known by it. He wasn't saved by his works. He's known by it. And so you see this picture, justification, sanctification. And then I don't know of a greater definition of someone who knows the Lord. He walked with God. And you wanna talk about perseverance. There's some of you here this morning and the Lord just laid so many upon my heart this past day. There's so many this morning who are persevering that every day you're being called to this place of faith. And some days, right, you get, it, you get it right and some days you struggle. But every day for many of us, like we're being called to this place of Lord, uh, you're calling me to trust you here and I can't see you. You're calling me to trust you with what you've promised to do, but I don't see it. And for many people in this place, there's this conflict every single day of do I trust the Lord and what he says and who he is or do I trust my feelings? Do I trust my emotions? Do I trust the way that this is looking? So there's a conflict for many of us. You see it here. The perseverance of this man, 120 years, 120 years. There's some of you in this place who are waiting on God. I would dare to say, nobody in here has been waiting 120 years. If you have them, he say amen, amen? Because you're the oldest dude in this place I wanna meet you. All right, let's keep going. Verse 10, and Noah begot three sons. When I was little, I used to think it said forgot three sons. And I'm like, that's messed up. Like there's a lot of forgotten people in the Bible. It's begot, that's not what it's not forgot. That's kind of the same pattern, Adam and Eve, and it gives us the genealogy. Then we go to verse 13. Let's pick up there. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. Again, that's a, a Hebrew way of saying, it's, it, I have determined this, that this, is, this has been decided is kind of really what that phrase is saying there. That the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence and moss through them. And behold, here's that word again, blot out. I will destroy them with the earth. In verse 14, he now gives the instructions to this man by the name of Noah. Make yourself an ark. And we talked about this last week. There's only two times that this specific word is used in scripture. It's in description of Noah's ark, but also in description of the box. That's really what it means. It's translated box or chest. It's also used in the description of Moses, where Moses is placed on the Nile. He's placed in an ark, in a, in a, in a chest or in a box is basically what it means. We all have this image of Noah's ark, of this big boat, you know, with a bow that cuts through the water. That's really not the right image. Really what we're talking about here is a big wooden box, a big wooden box that would be very stable upon the oceans, right? That, that really would not have the ability to even capsize because of the dimensions that God has given here. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence I will destroy them upon the earth. So make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, what is gopher wood? Now, we, we don't know. Some people claim we don't know. Many believe it's some type of cypress tree. We're really not sure. Whatever it is, there was a lot of it. Can I get an amen? Because it's gonna be needed. There's build materials here needed to make this cruise ship. And then he says this, make rooms. That's an interesting word there. It means nest or habitat. And so you get this picture here, like, like could this feel, like I know there's many of you who are challengers and you're scientifically minded. And the question is, did this really happen? Like, like could there really be all of these different species that are bought upon the ark? Now, again, it doesn't tell us whether these animals were mature or young. So sometimes we think about, well, where's the big elephant and where's the giraffe who has his head sticking out the window? Well, some details are not given to us in scripture. 
but he tells them to make habitats, to make specific rooms for these animals and cover it, he says, inside and outside with, notice this word, pitch. Love this word. Love this word. We see this word also in the account of Moses, who's been placed in a box or a chest. It says, cover it with pitch. Basically, it's some type of sealant. Inside and out, you can imagine if this thing is floating for 371 days, like you got to seal the cracks in the corners. And so whatever this is, is being used to cover inside and out the cracks and corners of this vessel. Now, what's interesting about this Hebrew word karah, a korah, a kara, what it means is this. Every other time it's used in scripture, it speaks of atonement. It speaks of covering. It speaks of covering sin. It speaks of those who have sinned, but the cracks and corners have been covered. And remember what the Bible says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so there's this picture that's now taking place with this physical ark, but also it speaks of a coming savior. Let's keep going. He says, cover it with pitch. And then he says in verse 15, and this is how you shall make it. This is not a small project. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. And so let me do the math for you. 300 cubits, 50 cubits in width, 30 cubits in height. And so feet, this is how this translates. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. So let's just imagine this vessel. 150 yards, a football field and a half. That's about the length of this bad boy. I don't think he named it bad boy, but it's the length of this bad boy. Now, did Noah just build it by himself? That's always a question, right? 100, 100 years of building, is it feasible? No, we don't know. Did his sons help him? I would imagine so, but I would even go further than that. You know, many believe that there were a whole group of people that helped him build this ark. So let's think about that now. There were those who worked on the project, many people believe. There were those who helped in the building of what would save them, many believe, and yet they themselves did not go into the ark. I think there's a picture there. There's a picture there of a lost church. There's a picture there of someone who is a part of the building of the church, right? They're a part of the work, but they're not covered in the blood of Jesus. They were a part of the building project but they themselves had never responded in faith. That's two different things. It's one thing to come to church. It's one thing to, 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 to be a part of a Bible study. It's, one, it's a whole nother thing to demonstrate faith in our lives each day. And so I wonder, we don't know, but then it says this in verse 16, I know no one in his family were thankful for this. You shall make a window for the ark, a ventilation system for the ark. So like many cruise ships, it had animals in its stunk. You shall make a window. That was funny. <laughs> you ain't never been on a cruise ship before. I've been on there and there's animals and it doesn't have the greatest smell. Here we go, you shall make a window. Many believe that this was all the way around. 18 inches, one cubit, 18 inches, you can imagine a ventilation system that was needed for this project. And then he says this, set the door of the ark on its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. God has given specific instructions. And now for the first time in verse 17, he tells him why. Up until this moment, he's just giving him instructions. And now for the first time, this is what he says, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth 
to destroy from under heaven, notice this, all flesh in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. So that phrase breath of life is meaning what? Anything that draws breath outside of the water. So obviously he's not speaking of anything that lives below the water. He's speaking of those who require air, all flesh, the breath of life, all that requires shall die. Now look at verse 18. First time this word is used in the Bible, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall go in the ark, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. God says, I'm going to establish a promise with you. And I love this, right? I remember reading this this past week and it just got me so excited. Like this is not a bilateral promise. This is a unilateral promise. He's not saying my promise is dependent upon you because if his promise of forgiveness and redemption is dependent upon us, we're in bad shape. Can I get an amen? This is God by grace through faith. This is God saying, no, my covenant, I've displayed grace upon you. Now by your faith, my grace holds you. My grace seals you. This is my promise to you that's not dependent upon you being good for me. It's not dependent upon you checking every box that you did your devotion today and you didn't curse and you didn't kick the dog. So you're good in my presence. That's not what's being said here. In spite of you, my grace, I am making a covenant with you, faith required, but it's all because of my grace. Verse 19 and 20. And of every living thing of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort in the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And that's the way God has always established the family, male and female. We see this with Adam and Eve. We see this with the animals. Can I get an amen? Amen of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Now many say, okay, well, how did they all exist within this structure for 371 days? We don't know. Many say, okay, you know, uh, God could have put them in a hibernated state during that time period. If God created them and brought them to the boat, we need to understand that too. Noah didn't go on some roundup expedition. We recognize that, right? Noah wasn't out going, all right, let's check the list. We got the giraffes, we got the elephants, we gotta go find some tigers. That's not what's happening there. I believe supernaturally speaking, God led the ones, the animals that he created to this ark. Now, how did it happen within the boat? We're only given what scripture gives to us. He says this in verse 21, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, you shall gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. And then verse 22, man, has just been on me all week. Thus Noah did. Now, we don't know anything past that, right? We don't know if, if Noah asked questions, but according to scripture, he didn't. According to scripture, he heard the voice of God. He heard what God was calling and telling him to do, and he believed in it. He's not perfect. We know that down the road, right, we see that he's the first one in scripture who's ever gotten drunk. We see that in scripture. Again, the first time he spoke, he probably should have just kept his mouth closed. He was not perfect before, he was not perfect after, but he was faithful in responding to what God had called him to do. Thus, Noah did, according to all God, commanded him three words. May it be as simple for us. So he did. God, you said it. I believe it. I'm going to walk in it. God, you said it. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I'm going to walk in it because I believe in who you are. And I believe in what you've said you will do, that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And apart from faith, I can't even come into your presence. But by faith in Christ, I come into this new covenant, this promise, this 
based upon you, not based upon me. I can't stand and lose my salvation. You know why? My salvation was fulfilled in Jesus. He did nothing to accomplish salvation. So unless Jesus changes, my salvation is secure. It's a covenant, it's a promise that he makes to him that's not dependent upon his goodness. It's dependent upon God's grace. It's the same today. But the question is these moments of conflict, and I feel it in my own life. Can we say, God, I trust you? God, I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't even like it. But I trust you. That waiting time is never wasted time. Right, we see that in the story of Noah. You see that all throughout the characters of scripture. Joseph, who was locked in jail for all of those years, but in due time, in due time, what does that speak of? God's sovereignty, God's perfect timing, never early, never late, always on time. Be encouraged today. There are many of you who are waiting on the Lord and by faith you are walking every day. Lord, I don't see it. Lord, I'm struggling today, but I trust who you are. I trust your word and I'm gonna diligently seek you. And you're waiting upon God's faithfulness upon God's promises, let me encourage you, keep walking with him. At just the right time, at just the right time, God never wastes anything in our lives. Our good decisions, our bad decisions, our mistakes, but by his grace, he covers us. So, he did. Now, I've heard people say, you know, this, this picture of that door, right? It's a picture of Jesus. Only one door, right? To enter into God's only one door. What was he saying, John 14, 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What? No one comes to the Father except to me. But I, I would push back on that and say, no, no, no. It's not just an illustration of the door, it's the whole ark. The picture of the ark is Jesus. You think about it, right? What's coming? The judgment of God. How is it coming? In the floodwaters. What do the floodwaters represent? They represent judgment. They represent payment for sin. What protected Noah and his family? The ark sealed inside and out so that not even one drop of God's judgment would, would interfere. Not even one drop of God's judgment would fall upon the head of Noah and his family. It is a picture of Jesus that for those who come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, in faith and say, I believe in who he is. I believe in what he's done and my actions follow. The Bible says we are covered, we are atoned, that our sins have been paid in full, that we stand before a holy God righteous, that we stand before a holy God, not in our flaws and our sins, but the bottom line is this. Every one of us one day individually will stand before God. It's gonna come down to one thing. What'd you do with Jesus? That's what it comes down to. I've talked to people before about this church and that denomination and these beliefs. Let me, what, what do you believe about Jesus? Let's just talk about that. Because when it comes down to it, I am standing before a holy God in one or two places, either still in Adam, which means in my sins, which means exposed in my sins, or I'm standing like that ark covered in Jesus, every crack and corner sealed. And I now stand before God, not in my mess, not in my flaws, not in my sins, but in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's true, there's only one way to enter into that covering and that's by faith by grace through faith, and now created for good works. I'm gonna invite you to bow with me right where you are.
As we go through these stories over these next weeks, I pray that you can find yourself in this. It may not be that God's calling you to build this massive boat and collect animals, which I'd say, let's sit down and talk about it if he is. But there's something he's calling you to because that's how he grows us. That's how he sanctifies us. And the bottom line is this, right? If you've been justified, if you've professed that faith, then, then you are in the process of being saved. And God's number one priority in our lives, hear me, is not our comfort. It's not our happiness. It's our holiness. And what God desires more than anything else is a willing vessel who says, you know, I don't understand it all. You ain't got to fill in all the details. I know enough to know. I'm a sinner in a desperate situation that I can't solve myself. And I acknowledge that by grace, but through faith, God has promised to meet me where I am, to take me and transition me right from death unto life, dead in my sins, but now alive in Christ. For some this morning, that's the crisis of faith you're in. You hear these stories and you're like the flood and, and Noah and, and Jesus, but the bottom line is this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to know him. It's impossible to please him. So where is God calling you today? Hear me. Can it be said of us, so he did, so she did, that we were just and blameless and that simply said we walked with God. You see this in this story, right? The first impact is in the home, is in the family. We've talked about that through this series of impact. It was Noah's wife and his sons and their wives. That the, the first place where his faith met, it was with his, within his home. Where's God calling us today? To trust him where we can't see. May I encourage you to walk with him. Our heavenly father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we thank you that it's always been by your grace. Lord, it's always been by your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you demonstrated grace to Noah and that through Noah, Lord, you have established a, 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 a new humanity that Lord, now you have called us to as well, this place of faith. And so what I pray today, places where we can't see you, that we would trust in you, that in the places that we know we're waiting, that we'll trust in your timing, that we would not step outside of your will to manipulate the situation or control the situation, but that we would wait upon you, that you would renew our strength, but we trust that you are sovereign as we look at our world, as we look at just all that has taken place, Lord, it can seem out of control. Yet, Lord, we believe in this book that you are a God who is sovereign, who is sitting upon your throne. Lord, may we be a witness to a world that needs to hear this message of grace and mercy and redemption found in a person, your son, Jesus Christ. May you give us the faith it's not our own. We can't muster it up ourselves. May you give us the faith 
to walk in a way that pleases you. Lead us and guide us, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week. You are dismissed. We will see you next Sunday morning. Be praying for our students this week as they head to camp in the morning. God bless you. Have a great week.